We continue today in this series called Greater Than, where we have been looking at the subject of discipleship, what it means to follow more closely in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, and why a life with God and a life in Christ's footsteps is greater than a life without God or a life alone. Today, the message is titled, Risk is Greater Than Safety. In 1928, John A. Shedd, an American professor, he published a collection of sayings titled, Salt from My Attic. Amongst the aphorisms was a particularly pithy statement that should set the tone for today. He says this, a ship in harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. A ship in harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. Safety. It's a topic that is on the forefront of many, if not most, of our minds these days. Home monitoring systems, identity theft protection, debates around guns, safety in schools and public gathering spaces, doorbells that have cameras in them so you can see if someone's stealing your Amazon package. Marketing gurus and political pundits know that safety is one of our greatest concerns as people living in the 21st century. A ship in harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. These words were written by Professor Shedd more than 90 years ago between two world wars, moments before the Great Depression, in the final year of his own life. Surely Professor Shedd had reason to value safety. I think the words of John A. Shedd are a good place to start as we confront a difficult truth today in worship. That the life of faith calls us, much like an admiral calls a ship, not into the safety of the harbor, but rather into the risk of the sea. And so today we ask this question, how can a life of risk be greater than a life of safety? Today let's study two scriptures that tell stories of the sea. The first is a familiar one, Jesus leading Peter to walk on the water. We find this story in Matthew chapter 14 in the midst of miracles. Right before this story, Jesus feeds the 5,000, and right after, Jesus will cure the sick. But it is here, beginning in Matthew 14, verse 22, that Jesus will invite his disciple Peter into an experience that is visually iconic and spiritually arresting. Before we read our scripture today, let's invite God into this moment of scripture reading. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your word. Whether we've read this story a thousand times or we're hearing it for the very first time, let this story be read with new eyes, fresh ears, and with renewed hearts. Allow these words to jump off of the page of our Bibles and into our hearts that we might change the way that we live. Amen. Matthew's gospel says this, Right then. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowds. When he sent them away, he went up onto a mountain by himself to pray. Evening came, and he was alone. Meanwhile, the boat, fighting a strong headwind, was being battered by the waves and was already far away from land. Very early in the morning, he came to his disciples walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! They were so frightened, they screamed. And just then Jesus spoke to them, Be encouraged, it's me, don't be afraid. 
Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, order me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Then Peter got out of the boat and was walking on the water toward Jesus. But when Peter saw the strong wind, he became frightened. And as he began to sink, he shouted out, Lord, rescue me. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him, saying, you man of weak faith. Why did you begin to have doubts? When they got into the boat, the wind settled down. Then those in the boat worshipped Jesus and said, You must be God's son. The word of God for the people of God. I won't have you stand for each scripture reading since there's a couple today. One of the greatest temptations in our life of faith is to selectively read the miracles of Christ in a way that leads us to believe that either God will never let bad things happen to me or something like it. If I just have faith, everything will be great all the time. These are easy beliefs to fall into since they sound comforting on the surface, like walking on water, and yet in, face, in the face of any amount of real-life experience, we know that such syrupy spiritualism doesn't really hold up. Amen? Then again, this scripture and others like it, where Jesus commands the wind and the waves, they've been, de- they've been deployed throughout the years as a clear example of God's power over storms, and that whether the storm finds us or not in this life depends on whether or not we have faith. Have you heard someone preach a sermon like that? I remember when Hurricane Katrina pummeled the Gulf Coast. That's where much of my family calls home. And I remember Christian pastors getting on TV and explaining that the hurricane had come as a punishment for the sins of New Orleans. They would point to the image of Peter drowning in the sea and say that was clear evidence that doubt and sin are the cause of God's punishment in our lives. Now that view and that Preaching angers me, not only because it is callous and an uncaring word in the face of human suffering, but also because it's just a poor reading of the gospel. Think about the stormy stories from our scriptures. God is not in the storm. God's in the stilling. God is not in the lightning. God is in the calm. And in Peter's story of faith and doubt on the water, God is not in the drowning. He is in the immediate helping hand of Christ. Quite literally, God is the helping hand. Because the reality is, even when our faith is at its best, we are not without doubt. And when we follow our faith into risky situations, we may at times succeed and we may also fail. Peter's story reminds us of this. Peter was in the presence of Christ himself, walking on water and still His heart fell to lack of faith. But even drowning in the water, the gospel has good news for us this day. It says that the life of faith doesn't guarantee that we'll walk on water, but when we're drowning, we will have a helping hand. I think it's important to acknowledge that when we adopt a risky faith, sometimes we may feel like we're walking on water, and sometimes we may feel like we're drowning, but God's presence is with us always. Which led me this week to consider another story of faith and risk and ships and the sea, this time from the book of Acts, chapter 27, beginning in also verse 27. The apostle Paul is being transported by ship as a prisoner of the Roman government 
When a storm sets in and threatens the lives of everyone on board, what happens next is a testament to the way taking faithful risks can build the kingdom of God. Beginning in verse 27 of chapter 27 of the book of Acts, it says this, On the 14th night, we were being carried across the Adriatic Sea. Around midnight, the sailors began to suspect that land was near. They dropped a weighted line to take soundings and found the water to be 120 feet deep. After proceeding a little farther, we took soundings again and found the water to be only 90 feet deep. Afraid that we might run around aground somewhere on the rocks, they hurled out four anchors from the stern and began to pray for daylight. The sailors tried to abandon the ship by lowering the lifeboats into the sea, pretending they were going to lower anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and his soldiers, unless they stay in the ship, you cannot be saved from peril. The soldiers then cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. People tend to avoid risk. It's pretty much common sense, right? Not a provocative statement. People tend to avoid risk. We see this play out time and time again in both life and the scriptures. Jesus tells a parable about a man who's given a coin to invest, but instead he hides it in the ground for fear of losing it. I think about in my own life how many times I've chosen the route that would lead me to be the least risky. And that's why this part of Paul's story stuns me. Because when confronted with a storm that threatens their very lives in the dead of night, the Roman soldiers take their lifeboat, begin to lower it down, and they cut the ropes to release it. What a ridiculous thing to do. Or is it? After spending some time with this story this week, I think there's a lot of spiritual truth in the soldiers' actions. It reminds me that the life of faith does not come with life preservers. In his letter to the church in Philippi, Paul would famously say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. What he meant by that is that the life of faith carries with it a cost, and that cost is our life as we've known it. We simply cannot follow Christ and continue to live as the person we've known up to that point. The Christian walk demands that we change, that we spiritually die so that a new life can begin within us. But when we find ourselves at sea, in the midst of a storm, staring a risky decision in the face, the lifeboat and the life preserver begins to look enticing. Amen. What keeps us from cutting the rope and setting ourselves free to live a risky faith? Three things come to mind for me. One is comfort. The life we've lived fits us like a well-worn glove, and the idea of giving it up is simply too hard. Number two is excuses. If you're ever looking hard enough for a reason not to follow God, I guarantee that you'll find one. (laughs) And for me, the third is pessimism, because sometimes it's easier just to assume that we'll fail. Maybe you have your own reasons for holding tight to your life preserver, but these came to mind for me. We all have our reasons for wanting to run from risk and ride in a lifeboat on our own. But Paul's story isn't over, and if we keep reading, we'll discover why life on the boat, on the big boat, is, though risky, the faithful choice in the end. 
Here now our final scripture this morning, Acts 27, verses 39 through 44. It says this, In the morning light they saw a bay with a sandy beach. They didn't know what land it was, but they thought it, they might possibly be able to run the ship aground. They cut the anchors loose and left them in the sea. At the same time, they untied the ropes that ran back the rudders. They raised the foresail to catch the wind and made for the beach. But they struck a sandbar, and the ship ran aground. The bow was stuck and wouldn't move. The stern was broken into pieces by the force of the waves. The soldiers decided to kill the prisoners to keep them from swimming to shore and escaping. However... However, the centurion wanted to save Paul, so he stopped them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and head for land. He ordered the rest to grab hold of planks or debris from the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Again, it is Roman soldiers being asked to act in faith, and again, their actions are revealing. I see three ways in which their example can teach us a deeper understanding of what it means to live life with a risky faith. Number one, a risky faith knows when to cut the anchors. I like this part of the story. There are a lot of seasons in in the life of faith when it feels like God is pretty quiet or maybe even distant. But if you've had faith in God for very long, if you feel like that faith has been made real in your life at some point, then you've likely also experienced those moments when you felt something inside you stirring so clearly you could swear it was the voice of God himself. And I think that experience is similar to the Roman soldiers knowing when to cut the anchors. That's a decisive moment. No turning back, no other options to be considered, and it would be an impactful choice in more ways than one. When I consider my own life of faith, I can identify those cut-the-anchor moments. Can you? For me, it was hearing God's call when I was a teenager to pursue ministry or when I was in my early 20s and I knew that Reagan was the woman I needed to marry or when Reagan and I brought sweet Andy Jane into this world. Those are some of my cut-the-anchor moments, full sail ahead. But when we cut the anchors... The good news is that, when, that we run full force into the vision that God has for our lives. The second thing that we can learn from the soldiers is this. A risky faith challenges fear. A risky faith challenges fear. Not only do the soldiers confront their fear of running the ship into shore on an unknown island, they also confront the fear of directly disobeying both their own common sense and the direct orders of their superiors. Any Roman soldier tasked with shipping prisoners would know that in their position, they would need to kill every single prisoner. And if they did not, they would risk the prisoners escaping, they could commit mutiny, or worse, the soldiers themselves could be charged with treason and executed by a commanding officer. The soldiers had to confront these fears head on if they were going to do the faithful thing. I think sometimes we believe that a life of faith is one that somehow miraculously is devoid of fear. Has anyone lived a life without fear in the room? I'd love to talk to you. I believe the soldiers on that ship were every bit as afraid after their decision as they were before it. 
It was the beatnik and talent manager, James Neal Hollingworth, writing under his pseudonym, Ambrose Redmoon, who said this. Maybe you've heard something like it. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than one's fear. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than one's fear. The soldiers judged that Paul's life and faith were more important than their fear. And by adopting Paul's risk-welcoming faith as their own, they saw the prisoners as worth saving too. We should not overlook the reality of this choice in favor of a syrupy sentimentalism that smiles at the thought of a group of ragtag men coming together to survive. These were Roman soldiers trained to despise anyone deemed an enemy of the Roman Empire, a label which surely these prisoners would fit. And still, and still, their lives are spared. And as scripture tells us, everyone lived that day. Which brings me to the final truth that the soldiers' actions display to me. Risky faith changes the world. Every life was spared. Enemies turned into necessary friends who needed one another to survive. The soldiers took the risk of seeing the, pres- the prisoners not as a threat nor an enemy, but as a person worthy of salvation. Like you, I've grown weary with the current state of division in our culture. We've seen that divisiveness on full display in Washington and elsewhere in recent weeks. Now, I consider it a gift to have the opportunity to be in ministry with you, the people of Lover's Lane, because we are certainly not of one mind about a great many things. Amen? That wasn't nearly loud enough, church. We're not a red church or a blue church. We're a purple church, right, Stan? And if purple is good enough for Easter, then by golly, it's good enough for me. In the last couple of years, it seems that the levels of suspicion and vitriol amongst people of differing views, ideals, and political persuasions have reached a level not unlike the kind of suspicion and loathing with which a Roman soldier might view a lowly prisoner. I know one thing for sure. If we're going to look for someone outside of us, a leader, a politician, anybody at all, if we're going to look for someone outside of us, someone else to make it right, we are going to drown at sea. And maybe you're like me, and it feels like maybe we're already drowning just a bit. Certainly, it feels like we're taking on water. This week, I know that the following is true, that like Peter, Jesus is offering his hand if we are willing to take it. And like Paul, he's asking us to be a part of the solution, not for our side, but for all. I'm thankful for the story of Paul's risky faith this week because it reminds me that though I may not like it from time to time, we are all in the same boat. And if you're being honest this morning, aren't there some people you wouldn't mind throwing overboard right about now? Say amen. We're going to have confession in just a moment. It's okay. But Paul's testimony tells us that throwing people overboard really isn't an option. 
Because just like the soldiers were inspired to see prisoners as worth saving, we must have the faith to see each other, even though we might deem, ourselves, might deem our enemies as children of God worthy of love. And that's a risky position. We risk our pride and sense of self-righteousness so that we might be able to empathize with someone whom we deeply disagree We risk our biases and our blind convictions so that we might hear the fears and frustrations and hopes that drive someone to think, speak, and act differently than we do. We risk our anger and our hatred so that God's grace might be revealed to us in unexpected places like a holy conversation where divisions can be challenged in love. That kind of a risky faith. That kind of a risky faith, church, the kind of faith that refuses to see each other the way the world wants us to see each other, the kind of faith that is more committed to loving God and neighbor than loving an ideology, the kind of faith that would place our lives on the line for the sake of another, even someone we think unworthy, that kind of a faith is ridiculous. It's reckless. It's risky. It'll get you drenched. Not in seawater, but in the boundless grace of God. We may not always walk on water like Peter, but this Sunday I hope we can dive in like Paul. Amen.